Uh, it's really common for the person in the top job uh, to not really know what life's like for those who are under them. That's at least often true, uh, wouldn't you say? Uh, so, for example, there's the career politician employed to represent the people but having never really lived a life that's similar to the people. Uh, decisions made on the behalf of those that they represent without first-hand experience of the, the day-to-day battles. We'd love our leaders, all of them in all their varied forms, uh, to know what life is like for us. Uh, and if we're talking politics, not just the occasional appearance at uh, a disaster site, which seems more a photo opportunity or publicity stunt than anything else. But for them, the leader, to struggle as we struggle. For them, the leader, to experience as we experience. For them, to stand with us as well as standing for us. And so we love a leader who has come from our world, who knows our life. A friend of ours is is a builder and one of the owners of quite a large company. And every now and again, he gets back on the tools. I imagine this is very helpful for him to just be reminded of what it is to pull up sore after a long physical day's work. But it's helpful too for those who are under him Uh, having one of the directors stand with them in the trenches, so to speak. Uh, I actually met one of their employees, and this bloke said how down-to-earth the directors of this company are. They're just larrikins like us, he said with great pride. Now We're looking at this, this book, Hebrews, one of the 66 smaller books that makes up the Bible, God's word. And it begins like a sermon. It ends like a letter. It's written by an unknown author to an unknown people. But it's clear that the great problem that this book addresses is the drift. A drifting away from Jesus. And while we don't know the original reader, we do know that they were once on fire for Christ walking in the grand salvation that that believers have in him. But they were drifting for them going back to the old ways, the old covenant for them. And if we're here this afternoon and we we reflect on what the drift might be for us, laziness, busyness, sin that we've continued to dabble in and not dealt with and more, The antidote to the drift, as we were reminded last week, if you were here from chapter 2, verse 1, after outlining the the magnificence of of Jesus, his superiority to the angels, he made them there to worship him, the majesty of the Son. Not only is he the agent of creation, but the sustainer of all things. He's now enthroned in, in glory And we get to chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, says our author, therefore to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. 
careful attention to the person and work of Jesus. This grand salvation first announced by him, our Lord, attested to by those witnesses who were there, and by God himself with those uh, wonderful acts, those miracles. And if we just go to chapter 3, verse 1, which is the end of the section that we're looking at this afternoon, or we'll begin here next week, we read, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And so as we look at this uh, this book, Hebrews, that's what we're doing. We're looking at Jesus. It's Christology, the person and work of Jesus. But having been told that the Son, Jesus, is superior to the angels, he made them there to worship him. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We might think he doesn't know what life's like for me. My struggles, my day-to-day, my reality. Because it is common for the person in the top job to not know what it's like for those under them. And you say, well, of course God knows all things, doesn't he? The God of the Bible, he's all-knowing. And so he does know what life is like for us. But knowing by experience, that's really knowing, isn't it? And this afternoon, our author brings things down to earth. You notice we're first pointed to Psalm 8. Uh, Liz read it at the beginning of the the service. Psalm 8, that the psalmist is marvelling at the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, through creation. And the psalm begins, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And we go outside and we marvel at God's creation. And this is where the author of Hebrews picks up the psalm in verse 6 of chapter 2. And we read, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. The majestic God has given humanity a a position of privilege within creation. That's the Bible's point of view, isn't it? Yet who are we that he should even give us a thought? You notice there's echoes of Genesis chapter 2 in Psalm 8 where people are instructed to, to rule the earth that to to under God oversee all things. It's a wonderful responsibility that God has given humanity. Yeah, we mucked it up. Worshipping the creation instead of caring for it. If your Bible's in front of you, you notice there's a lot of footnotes Uh, There's some translation difficulty. You might have noticed as Liz was reading at the start of the service as well. Is it them, plural, humanity, you made them a little lower than the angels and put everything under their feet, the plural? Or is it singular? You made him 
a little lower than the angels and put everything under his feet. Notice Psalm 8, mucked up by us, under God to rule over all things, finds its fulfilment in Jesus. Just look with me at verse 8 and 9, I'll read there. In putting everything under them, see the footnote, or him, God left nothing that is not subject to them or him, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them or him. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The glorious son from chapter 1, who's separate from creation, the agent of creation, the sustainer of creation, he enters it, taking the position of humanity, a position of privilege, yes, and crowned with glory and honour. Why? Because he suffers death, the death that you and I deserve, for we mucked up our position of responsibility. It's really bringing things down to earth, isn't it? You see the solidarity between Jesus and humanity building in this passage? Back in verse 5, we read, it is not to the angels that he subjected the world to come. Seems the original reader had a thing with angels. But verse 6, there's a place where someone has testified and our writer refers to Psalm 8. The magnificent Son of God did not become an angel, but a person, an ordinary human, fully God, fully man, living out Psalm 8, which we could not do, and tasting death in our place. And so his death becomes ours, verse 9. His glory becomes ours, you see, verse 10, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And his holiness, our holiness, verse 11, we read, both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I don't know if this was ever your experience as a kid, getting on the school bus, uh, probably more as a teenager. uh, You're there with your brother or your sister. And the brother or the sister, they make it clear. From this point on, once we're on that bus, we're not related. You experience this? I'm embarrassed by you. Uh, I'm ashamed of you. I don't know you, you don't know me, Uh, you will be of absolutely no use in me climbing the social ladder. It's wonderful, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't do that with us. And we, we may even see in ourselves, we may see ourselves as an embarrassment at times. A shameful representation of God's people. But Jesus doesn't view us that way, calling us brother and sister. See, this is the most wonderful form of leadership, isn't it? Jesus standing for us, but Jesus standing with us, a real human, 
who really experienced life as a human. The glorious son becomes a man and dies. Death is mentioned a lot in chapter 2. I don't you pick that up. But for what? You see verse 14 and 15, we read, Since the children have flesh and blood, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Uh, When it says that, that Satan has the power of death. That's not to say that he's the ultimate power over death, but in the sense that that he influences uh, that which causes death. Death is the result of rebellion against God. Death, the penalty for sin. And the way to beat death is to beat sin. And we see that in Jesus. Um, I don't know if you're someone who consciously fears death, uh, whether you're reflective about that or or not, but but COVID's been a reminder of that fear in our world, hasn't it? Sometimes we might think as though we're free, uh, free to do whatever we like, uh, free to make our own destiny. Uh, Speaking on the freedom of humanity, someone uh, put it quite bluntly. Uh, We're not economically free. Uh, We can't afford what we want. We're not morally free. We can't actually do what we want. We're not geographically free. We can't go where we want. We're not temporally free. We can't live as long as we want. And this person, to put it bluntly, what kind of an idiot believes in the concept of freedom? You're not free. And we imagine Satan dangling the keys as the jailer, enslaved to death. We can't live as long as we want. We can't control death, when and how it comes. But in Jesus, death is defeated. The devil is done. For if we trust in Jesus, his death is whose? Ours. Solidarity with him. His glory is ours. Solidarity with him. His holiness is ours. There is life beyond the grave. And it's not to the angels that God subjected the world that is to come. We trust in this Jesus. We have solidarity with him and he with us. It's wonderful, isn't it? And there's something else about Jesus' death here, isn't there? Victory over death, yes. But also you notice verse 17, an atoning death. We read verse 17, For this reason... He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God 
that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, atonement or propitiation, if you've got an ESV in front of you, to, to pay the price and satisfy a just judgment by carrying in yourself a judgment that your action rightly deserves. Well, Jesus does that on our behalf. So he's the priest offering up the sacrifice, but he's also the sacrifice itself. Through his death, he makes atonement for our sin. Through his death, he provides what God's justice requires. If only we trust in him, if only we give our lives to him. Now listen, if the problem is the drift, our sin can be a mighty issue, can't it? The dabbling, the continuing to dabble in it, and whatever your specific struggle, it can be easy to adopt a more comfortable, I can do whatever kind of a Jesus. Yeah, a Jesus who's light on sin. A Jesus who's laid back when it comes to my sin. But we have one in heaven, the glorious Son, at the right hand of the Father, who can help us when we're tempted, who's won victory over death and paid God's judgment for sin. It's done. We have one in heaven who calls you unashamedly brother or sister and who has been through it all. You see verse 18, this is a beautiful verse. You write this one down somewhere. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. It's good, isn't it? As we struggle with temptation. He helps. Michael Kruger says, have you ever felt abandoned or lonely? Jesus can relate. He's the man of sorrows from Isaiah 53, rejected and put to death by his own people. Ever felt the grief of losing someone you love? Well, Jesus can relate. He wept at the death of Lazarus, John 10. Ever been lied about? That's a painful one, isn't it? Jesus can relate. He was betrayed by a close friend, falsely accused by the priests and ridiculed by the soldiers. Ever had money problems? Jesus was poor and had nowhere to lay his head. Ever felt misunderstood by a family member? Jesus' own family thought he was out of his mind, Mark 3. Ever felt highly stressed? Jesus was so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that his sweat was like drops of blood, Luke 22. He was also tempted to pursue personal glory, tempted with wealth and power, tempted to avoid suffering. Except unlike us, he was without sin. He resisted even to the point of death. Yeah, that's the leader we want, is it not? Who stands for us, but also stands with us. Who knows our struggle, has lived our struggle, 
and our experience. So as we struggle with the drift, it's the pastoral concern of Hebrews. As we long to put away sin, know that the glorious Son of God is there with us. How about we pray about that? Uh, Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our down-to-earth King. Lord, we thank you that the Son, through whom you made the universe, the Son, the radiance of your glory, your exact representation who sustains all things, that he really did provide purification for sin, uh, that he came down and became one of us, fully God and fully man. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we want to recognise the position of privilege that you have given humanity. It's amazing that, that you positioned us under yourself to rule over all things. And we want to praise you for even thinking of us. But we want to thank and praise you for Jesus, who didn't muck things up, but who lived as we should have, and who died in our place, that we might be called brothers and sisters of his. Lord, we thank you that he wins victory over death, that we do not need to fear death. And we pray that you would help us remember our heavenly calling and fix our thoughts on him, our king. Uh, Lord, uh, help us keep on doing business with you. Help us be a people who enjoy you. Help us keep on responding to your word. And we pray that in your mercy, uh, we would enjoy you forever and you would be adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.